Well, today we're going to look into the book of Romans. Before we do, I feel I must give you a public... Is it a public warning, what did I say before? Before we open the pages of the Bible, um, I think there should be a public health warning on the front because it can seriously change your life. Um, God gave me a message to speak a week ago in the hub on the Thursday night, and uh, it was through a song, really. It was about uh, Jesus took away our sin, and he rolled, and the, the Holy Ghost rolled away the stone, um, and he, he baptized the believers, and they went out in boldness, and the church went forward. And God really spoke that to me about rolling away your stone. Well... I bought a piece of stone with me this morning. This is a small piece of stone. I think it's onyx. Um, and since I've started to turn back to God's word in the last two years or so and seeking God earnestly, he's beginning <laughs> to change my life. <laughs> um, we started to do our kitchen up, and God spoke to me about opening up your doors, taking down your walls, expanding. He's going to come for me and make a way. And so what became a kitchen project became a, an extension and all our walls were removed. I was just about to settle uh, with my wife, Kath, looking forward to retirement to enjoy relaxing in my favourite chair, by the favourite fire with my love fire and just chill in my retirement. But I began to open the Bible and seek God where he changes things. So suddenly I have no walls in my house or my back walls to take now or my interconnecting walls and we just have a huge space. But part of what God was saying to me about rolling away your stone, we, we brought in a builder. I like to do stuff myself. I was formerly a tradesman years and years ago. And this time I've done nothing. And we had this big piece of granite, which was three meters in length. It took four of us to lift it, and it, we really did struggle. It must have been a ton in weight. Um, and God's got a sense of you. Because he tells me about rolling away the stone. And we had this big three-meter piece of black granite, all cut ready, uh, which came with the kitchen. And we thought, we'd really like to utilize that. Well, you know, I've got a stone guy coming out to measure up stone for my island, where I'm going to be doing my cooking. Do I really want to pay him to do this back piece of granite when I've got a piece of granite, which is perfect? Shouldn't I utilize that? But my builder wouldn't touch it. It was just him and his mate. They couldn't lift it. I certainly couldn't lift it. But one day I woke up in the morning and said to God, I'm going to have a go at that stone. I've done nothing on this project. I'm used to getting my hands dirty. I'm going to have a go at it. So me and Kath, we rolled this piece of granite on its side out to the front porch. And we found these little plastic wheels which enabled us to roll it on its side out through the porch. And there I was able to cut through it. Perfect. Rolled it back and we left it by the side and my son-in-law said, oh, we want to come and see the house, come for a coffee. I said, sure, you come, because I needed him, he's a big lad. <laughs> so he turns up, and uh, four of us, the two wives, and Ian and myself, and we lifted this granite up just where we needed it, by the side, to go over the sink, and it slotted in perfectly, except I did tag my back a bit, and since then I've really felt the pain of uh, lower back pain and torso aches and so on. And I came to the, um, the Monday night where we do Alpha. I just about made it. I said to Rachel, I don't know if I can make it. And uh, God just laughed as I was leaving, you know. He just sort of roll away your stone, you know. And here I am making it. You know, I've tackled a real piece of stone. 
But there was some significance, spiritual significance, in rolling away the stone. That was just a testimony, just to be warned, you know, that God changes you, transforms you through the power of his word. He changed my life in the last two years again. Um, so we're going to read in Romans 13, and I'm really happy today that this isn't what I would say. It's a prescribed word. We're looking at the book of Romans. So hopefully it's safe, this, this short chapter. It's safe to read. So we turn to Romans 13. And I think this was entitled uh, Love on the uh, Notices. Love the law and the coming day. Oh, thanks, Dave. Love the law and the coming day. Well, I'm going to give the liberty, I'm going to change this to call of duty. Which uh, is what we see in this chapter. There's three clear calls. A call of duty, a call of duty to the state, to each other, and to Christ. So in Romans 13, 1 to 7, our call of duty to the state Everyone must submit to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist are instituted by God. So then the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do good and you will have its approval. For government is God's servant to you for good. For if you do wrong, be afraid, but it does not carry because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For government is God's servant, an avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Therefore you must submit not only because of wrath, but because also your conscience. And for this reason you pay taxes, since the authorities of God's public servants, continually attending to these tasks. Pay your obligations to everyone, taxes to those you owe, taxes, tolls to those you owe tolls, respect to those you own, you owe respect, and honour to those, those you owe honour. It's interesting really that um, in the context, you know, Paul is speaking here of obeying the state and paying taxes and in the times remember Jesus spoke when they said to him should we pay our taxes they were trying to catch him because the Jews didn't like to pay taxes to the Romans who were their occupiers and Rome was a fearful state they were they were a third of the world they run a third of the world and they were brutal as a state and we think similar today modern times of take the Nazi state you know, who sought to take over most of Europe and did. And this word, really, in context, it's in the context of the Romans. He's saying to them, obey this government, because God has placed this government in place. And we see that God places government, not man. Recently, we had a poll on Brexit, and we had the election, the general election before that, was it, or just after that, I'm not sure. And it's where man thinks... May, Mrs. May thought, she's got good numbers here. This is a, it's a nap. I'm going to get in. This is a good time to run general election. I remember um, my friend, a colleague, work colleague opposite me, uh, who says, you know, he said, Dave, you know, who do you respect? Who do you look up to most regarding who you should vote for? And I think this was in the context of Brexit. 
You should think of some famous people, Steve Hawkins, or some renowned people, you know, and look to what they would suggest. And I thought to mind, I don't look to man. It's not man that puts governments in place. It's God that does that. And if we read the Old Testament, we see it many times where the Jewish nation would stray from God. And what would he do? He'd bring over the Assyrians and they'd take charge and they'd put them in their place. So governments were raised up almost as avengers of God against people that were doing wrong. And even in our age, in our day and age, it's God that's in control. It's not man. We don't really live in a democracy, do we? Do we really have the power to put governments in and take governments out? Yes, you say, we have the vote. Man rigs the vote in terms of how our votes are counted in, in, in different uh, wards, doesn't he? In that respect. It's kind of man would love to say he is in charge and he is in power. But he isn't. It's God who's in power. It's God who's in charge. He's not changed. He still raises up governments. Sometimes good and sometimes bad. Dependent on where man's heart in this world is. There's a time when God will bring in as an avenger. The Romans were a ruthless state. They were a ruthless state. And yet they brought in civil laws and governance and justice. It wasn't anarchy. So he's saying here, respect the state, pay your taxes. It's interesting because I remember when I was in business years ago now, probably 20 years ago, um, and we were doing really well. We had a leisure business uh, with my brother. Um, he was the only brother that wasn't saved in the family at the time. I felt God called me to join him um, soon after college to help him build his business with him. And we built up so well, we had a number of shops, we had big, nice offices, ensuite showers, lovely offices, and we had plenty of staff. And a chap came to visit me, I called Freddie. And he was a guy who deal, dealt with cash deals, and he liked to buy and sell, and he was known as the tool man. And it's okay for me to say this, he's, he's no longer with us, Freddie. And he sat in front of me, he said, Dave, how... How have you acquired all this? How has your brother succeeded in all of this around you and all the staff and the officers and the different shops? And I said to Freddie, I said, Freddie, you've got to pay your taxes. Because I'm an accountant by trade, by the way. And I said, Freddie, it's no good hiding cash away. Because this guy was trying in a race with my brother to be the first one to stash away a million pounds. He wanted to make a million pounds. So he had many tools. He was a market trader with many tools. Um, he did tools and DIY equipment. I said, it's no good having all this cash if you can't spend it, Freddie. It's no good stashing it all away. You must pay your taxes in order to give you freedom to be able to show the benefits of your wealth. What's the point of hiding it under your stairs or in your carpet? And this man ferreted away many hundreds of thousands, and he had plenty of nice cruisers, you know, and he had a nice swimming pool fitted in his home. But he had to hide from the authorities, in effect, because if he had a big flash car on the drive, the taxman's going to come knocking and say, how have you got your big flash car? So I actually said to him, you need to pay taxes. You need to do your duty. You know, and what happened to that guy is he died prematurely, very sadly. And his wife went off and she 
found a bloke somewhere abroad, brought him back and basically spent his money. So he didn't really benefit. There's something about this that we have an obligation to the state. Even if that state, sometimes we might be under a Nazi state, we may be under the Romans. And what Paul's saying is, is we have a duty of good conduct, to be upright, to have integrity, and to pay our taxes. And it is God who elects governments, basically. So that's our duty to the state. Duty to each other. Let's turn to Romans 8, to verse 10. Do not own any sorry, do not owe anyone anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law, the commandments. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, all are summed up by this you shall love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbour. Love, therefore, is the fulfilment of the law. That line where really, love your neighbour as yourself, in James 2.8, if you really carry out the royal law prescribed in Scripture, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. It covers a multitude of commandments, is what Paul's saying here. He's saying it's in, in loving my neighbours myself, I'm fulfilling the laws. If we turn to Ephesians 4 and 25, in how we, do we actually fulfil or prescribe this royal law in Scripture? How do we fulfil it? Well, it's demonstrated here in Ephesians 4.25, Since you put away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbour, because we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And don't give the devil an opportunity. The thief must no longer steal. Instead, let him do honest work so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No rotten talk should come from your mouth, but only what is good for the building up of someone in need, in order to give grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit who sealed you for the day of redemption. All bitterness, anger, and wrath Insult and slander must be removed from you, along with all wickedness. And be kind and compassionate to one another, and forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. You know, this loving one another, this, this chapter here is built upon the gift of God. We heard about it today in the songs, God's grace, that he gifts us righteousness that he's made us righteous as, righteous as we accept Christ into our lives. We don't have to struggle and strive to be righteous. And yet Paul, in the same letter to the Ephesians here, is giving them a prescribed way of how we're to build on that righteousness. Because God has gifted it to us, that we don't have to strive and struggle, that we seek to love one another, that we put away lying, we speak the truth to one another in love. We don't give the devil an opportunity. The thief no longer should steal. Let him do honest work. No rotten talk should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building someone up. 
So it's kind of God gives us righteousness as we accept Christ in our lives. He gives the power for us to live righteously with each other. And what Paul's saying is that we have a duty to each other to love one another, to know that we can. We're not naturally, no longer naturally sinners. We are more naturally righteous in Christ. He's given us that. It's the justification by faith. This is by faith. By accepting Christ into my life, he gives me a foundation that I can stand and I can fulfill these words. Why are we told to be imitators of Christ? Who on on earth here could imitate Christ? You might say, how can I imitate Christ? That's That's a huge calling. And yet that's what the scriptures teaches us. Because he's already made us alive in Christ. He's clothed us, we had the verse up before, he clothed us in righteousness through faith. And if you read Romans as we've gone through the books of Romans in previous weeks, it's all about that message. I was was watching a program on uh, Martin Luther, um, the Protestant uh, Reformation in the 1500s, and it was Romans that really enlightened this guy. He was, he was uh, a priest or a monk at the time, and it was common then to, to whip oneself across the back and to put down the flesh and to try and earn God's favour. And he struggled and he struggled and he couldn't earn God's favour, and he was so troubled in mind until he read the book of Romans and God enlightened it to him that this is a free gift of God. That righteousness is the gift of God to you as you receive Christ, receive that cloak of righteousness. It's a foundation from then to, be, to consecrate your life and begin to pour into action what it said there in Ephesians, pour away lying and speaking the truth. No rotten talk should come from our mouths. These things should be more natural to us as we receive Christ and his righteousness. So we have a duty to each other. And finally, the duty to God. We turn to Romans 13, 11 and 14. Besides this, knowing the time, it is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep. And for now, our salvation is nearer than we first believed. The night is nearly over and the daylight is near. So let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us walk with decency as in the daylight, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarrelling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no plans to satisfy the fleshly desires. And there we have it in verse 14, let's put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there's a reason why we have to live a life which is worthy of our calling that God's called us into, to be upright, to do what is right to the state in terms of paying your taxes. It's about integrity. For a reason, it's about, there's a war. There's a war, and that war is a spiritual warfare. Which is why he says, put on the armour of light. It's it's important to us that we are able to discern the time, in effect. 
and in doing what is right to the state, to each other, and to put on Christ, is to realise that we're in this war. Which is why he says, put on the armour of light. Again in Ephesians 6 and verse 10. Finally be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armour of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. This is why you must take up the full armour of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And having prepared everything to take your stand, stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armour on your chest, and your feet sandaled with the readiness of the gospel of peace. He says put on righteousness like armour on your chest. We're called, we have a duty to live as we can in the righteousness that God has given to us and to consecrate our lives. We had it in the prayer meeting two weeks ago how we need to consecrate our lives more to God and realise that this is no gain. This is the work of Christ for this time.